Insert clever intro here. It's Geek Top 5! Yay! Additional generic referential comment. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to bring you the top five things that you as a geek need to know this week. Number five, some casting news announced about, and I can't say this without making a gesture under the table, Blade Runner 2. Um... (laughs) Man, what's what's the gesture under the table? I don't understand. I just of all the movies that don't need a sequel, Blade Runner has to top that list. Yeah, it's so 1982. Uh, one of the cl- one of the best science fiction films ever made. It's sort of a sci-fi noir. Uh, it uses humans and androids to examine, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? That kind of stuff. I love this movie so much. And it's this isn't a crazy Jesse thing. Lots of people love this movie. To yeah. the point of which, it's really hard to find a copy that isn't like a director's special anniversary collector's thing with 19 discs and four different cuts. Yeah, there are a million different versions of this movie. People love this movie, but it's very much a product of its time. And the story is, like, everything is wrapped up. They've decided to make a sequel. I do think there is some merit to it as we get more into a, a world where AI is a possibility. Further exploring that concept does have some merit. I don't know that it needs to be done in the Blade Runner world, but, you know, everything's about having uh, a, a built-in audience now. Yeah, I guess. I'm going to pull, but, I mean, how, are there a lot? I mean, I guess there are fanatics like me, but there are enough of us to sell those tickets? Are there a lot of people out there who want to see Blade Runner 2? I think no. That's a good question. I know there's already been a, a sequel novel that sort of sequelizes the original Philip K. Dick uh, story as well as the movie, yeah. since the movie's pretty different from the, the novel. Right. Like, I feel like asking if somebody wants a sequel to Blade Runner is actually a pretty effective void comp test to detect <laughs> the replicants from Blade Runner. In any case, the reason this is in the news is because we've had some casting information. We've known for a while that Harrison Ford is going to be back into it. Ryan Gosling is going to be the main star. He was announced a while ago. Right. That'll help because they won't have to keep running, you know, electricity through Harrison Ford to keep him walking. <laughs> uh, but now we're hearing, is Jared, is it Jared Leto or Leto? 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 I tend to go with Leto, but Jared, I've heard Leto. Jared, the not quite the Joker Leto, yeah. is going to be in this movie as well. The front man for 30 Seconds to Mars. That's a band. Okay, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, An interesting choice, because one of the things about the sequel that is kind of nervous is that we don't know anything about it. We don't know what it's about. You know, there's one if... Okay, spoiler alert for a movie from 1980. (laughs) Is Deckard a replicant? Ridley Scott said yes. Harrison Ford said no. Uh, lots, there's lots of back and forth. We don't know. Is that going to be addressed in this movie? That's one of the few things I was able to find about it. Apparently, the ambiguity about uh, Deckard's replicant status will be a part of the story. Right. But, so then, are they playing coy because they don't want to answer? Or is it because they're not going to answer it? In which case, what is this movie even for? It just, it's all circling back. Well... I mean, hopefully Deckard's just sort of a, to, to my mind, I hope he's just sort of a smaller character in it and it won't show up much. And maybe that way, keeping the ambiguous nature of his uh, his real identity is doable. Right, I mean, he's okay. Yeah. So then the movie will probably be something to do, like with Gosling and Leto doing whatever. Yeah. I want to say Leto because of the character from Dune. Go for it. But that is a disservice to the character from Dune. <laughs> um, Jared Leto is a fantastic actor, or... Leto or whatever, you whatever want to call his him. name is, yeah. whoever that guy, that guy. is. Let's just call uh, him New Joker. The point I'm making is that I feel like it's weird to announce, like, "Hey, everyone, 
we got Jared Leto, and then just cutting it off. And said, we're not going to say what he's for, we're not going to say who he's playing, we're not going to say what he's doing. To be fair, they've done that with every casting announcement. You know, they've got Harrison, we all know who Harrison Ford's going to play, but Ryan Gosling, we don't know anything about him. Robin Wright is going to be in it, we don't know anything about her. Dave Bautista, who played Drax, he's also in it, and he announced his casting by posting a picture of him with the, an origami unicorn. Okay, that's that's pretty rad, actually. But we don't know anything about that. There, all we know is that it's going to take place decades after the first one, and it's going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who is a French-Canadian director, who's probably best known for doing Prisoners and Sicario. Prisoners was really good. I don't think a lot of people saw it, but man, is it dark. It's a hard watch. And a lot of people saw Sicario, and it was supposed to be yes. really good. Also dark, also yes. uh, which is perfectly appropriate, because this place is dark. The universe mm-hmm. portrayed here is not a happy place. No, like, Nobody gets a happy ending. Yeah, it's sort of depending on what cut of the movie you're watching, because again, it's just, oh man... You know how happy I was when I found a, like the rarest of the rare, a one-disc edition of this movie, which just had the movie on it, and I could put it in and watch it like it was a movie. There's so but many. that might not even be like the theatrical cut of the movie. It's I think that one is Ridley Scott's preferred cut, but I know that that's not necessarily the same thing as the director's cut, and the director is Ridley Scott, so like yeah. they've just oh, <laughs> and then there's the quote-unquote final cut. Yeah, which was not the last cut release. <laughs> um, this is again. I keep diverging because of how emotionally invested I am in this. I am. This is not unbiased reporting. I am not a trustworthy narrator. You should investigate this on your own if you're interested. I still find the idea of a sequel to Blade Runner to be horrifying. It would be like making The Sound of Music too. I, I just, I mean, I'd be interested in seeing that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, the, the wrecked lives of the children, and what happened to them afterwards. Uh, anyway, the, the, I think uh, something that might soothe you is the fact that Tony Scott, the director of the original, is involved in, in this. He's wanted to make a sequel or prequel, depending on what you read, for over a decade now. So... Yeah, and to be fair, I can't think of any science fiction franchises where the director wanting to make a prequel hasn't turned out badly, so... I mean, he did do it with Alien. Tony Scott directed uh, Prometheus, which is kind of a prequel to Alien. Yeah, was, is that even a prequel? It's, it, it's sort of, I think, maybe. <laughs> and it, it, it has its own problems. I'm not reassured, right. Graham. All right, All right. fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I just, listen, I know the whole Tears, like, Tears in the Rain speech off by heart. I love this movie. I can't imagine what they're going to do with it. I guess that's not to say that it'll necessarily be bad. Uh, and I guess they got some pretty good cast members in there. Definitely. I, and then otherwise there's nothing. Just they're making a movie and there are going to be people in it. And that's all we know. And that's probably a marketing tactic. And I'm probably buying right into it. Definitely. We will definitely pay more attention to that as it comes. So next, we're going to go to another movie story. This is uh, our continuing coverage of the DC movie universe. Meltdown. This one, I I don't even know if it's got a real name yet, but it's sort of best known as Dark DC, right? It's Justice League Dark. Justice League Dark. So this is going to be the dark one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) As opposed to (laughs) the the bright sunshine of the Ben Affleck, uh, Henry Cavill... I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. Like they see what's happening and they figure the heck with it. We're all in. Yeah, we're still doing doubling this. down. Yeah, 
Now, to be fair, this is an animated movie, right? This isn't another... No, this no, is live this is action. A... Yeah, there, I think there's going to be an animated one as well, but this ah. one's live action. All right, I sit corrected. Okay, tell me about this. So, Doug... So, I mean, the most important detail to know about this, especially since it's a supernatural-based, you know... Justice League movie is that Guillermo del Toro, the director of Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, Pan's Labyrinth, a million awesome supernatural spooky, spooky movies. He is uh, he he was the, going to be the director of this. He's developed it for years and years, and like a lot of Guillermo del Toro movies, he is no longer going to be directing it. It feels like I've talked about this is a weird thing to say, but I think there are more movies that Guillermo del Toro hasn't directed than he has that. That's a weird thing to say. No, but I know what you're saying. It's yeah. like he starts and then just get, what is it, gets distracted. It goes you know, on to something else. He sees, some a, sort of, like, he sees a cool bird. Yeah. He just like goes wandering <laughs> off. Or he has some sort of disagreement with it creatively with the studio. Who knows? But I, I can't tell you the number of movies he's been attached to that he's later left. Like The only one who's close to it is Darren Aronofsky. He has a, a list as long as my arm of movies he's been attached to and then left. Anyway, so he's still involved, at least in some sort of producer fashion, but the new director is Doug Lyman. And in order to do this, he is leaving the Gambit movie, which he was previously attached uh. to direct. Which, you know, I don't know how to feel about that. That movie seems to be having a lot of uh, sort of uh, birth pains, if yeah. you will. But that's another one of those movies that we really want to be good. Yeah. Who doesn't love Gambit? So, so Channing Tatum was attached to that uh, uh, there's been some sort of verbal fights in the media with the producers. There's now the directors left. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Not important for this story. Doug Lyman has uh, an interesting batch of credits. He directed Swingers. He directed the first Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the cool uh, time travel movie with uh, Tom Cruise that came out a couple of years ago called Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, that um, Kill, Die, Repeat? Yeah, yeah, which is a better title, but that was only a tagline. I think it's on the DVD, though. It's on the DVD now, so it might as well be the title, but the technical name of it is All Edge right. of Tomorrow. Fair enough. So, he's on board. Uh, we don't know too much more about it, but some of the characters who've been rumored to be involved are Constantine, who had his own TV show for a while and had a, one of the longest-running Vertigo comic book series, Hellblazer. He uh, was created by Alan Moore. He first appeared in Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, coincidentally, also being rumored to be in this movie. He's a giant swamp monster. He's the Swamp Thing. He's we, the Swamp Thing, Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also Zaytana, who's a magician. Right. How do you make Zaytana dark? She's been involved with all the supernatural stuff before. They they made her really dark at one point in in the comics in the series she called wears, Identity like, she Crisis. She wears a top hat. Like, she takes magic out of her top hat. Yeah. Just... But at one point, the Justice League were essentially, secretly lobotomizing supervillains and making them, like... They used that to explain why some of them were sort of goofy and kooky, like Captain Boomerang with his weird boomerang outfit... And it was because they'd had their minds tampered with by Zaytana. Huh. Magically. Okay. So so there's some dark stuff with her, even though she's best known for top hats and fishnets. Uh, could be cool. Um, Dead Man, who's one of, got one of the best costumes in all of comic books, but he's basically a ghost who just goes and takes over other people's bodies. No one can see him unless he's possessing someone else. Uh, there's also Madame Xanadu, who I know basically nothing about. Apparently she reads tarot cards and is somehow tied with Arthurian legend. So, some interesting characters. We'll see what happens with it. They, they could be a fun group of characters in the right hands. 
it's there's a lot of groups of characters out there right now. Yeah. Um, you know, even in like her prime, Zatanna, you know, she's not buddy buddy with Superman, you know, fighting Doomsday very often. She's not like she has been a member of the Justice League. Oh yeah, who hasn't? Well, fair enough. Uh, she's tied to to Batman's origins now. They've what? retconned that. Yeah, they they were friends when they were kids or something. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, so I Zaytana's not the important part. Constantine's the important right. part. Right, yeah. That could actually really be read. Cool. Yeah. He they have not done a great job with him in live action format so far, but he's he's got a cool character. I mean his his look was based on Sting and he's a, he's an occult private detective. I mean what what's not to like about that? No, that that does sound cool and that sounds really appropriate for dark and gritty material. That you know, his character could really fit into the Snyder universe. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, I think Guillermo del Toro is a good sign. I think Doug Liman he's got a bit of a choppy track record, but I think he would bring an interesting uh, take to the the source material. Uh, I'm willing to to see what happens. Fair enough. Speaking of superheroes, <laughs> they just keep coming. They're everywhere. <laughs> sort of. These ones are actually a little bit different. This is cool. Uh, so this is, they're making The Runaways. Well, TV, is it still considered a TV show if it's only on streaming services? Yeah. Hulu's getting one now. They're yeah. getting their superheroes. The Marvel Runaways are, they're a team that's formed from the kids of these myriad supervillains who like try to make up for the crimes of their parents? Yeah, it's like, an interesting story uh, where they they sort of they're they're an LA based team, so there's a pretty far removed from the main New York hub of the Marvel universe. So their supervillains parents aren't ones you've ever heard of before, but they they've been really doing all the underground evil stuff in in the LA crime scene, and they're they but nobody knows who they are. And their kids find out and then are shocked and appalled by what's been going on and try to, like you said, right their parents' wrongs. So you have, you know, you have the superhero stuff. There's an alien, there's a witch, there's a mutant, etc. But you get to mix that in with that healthy dash of teenage drama. Yeah. Which... Sort of, it seems like something they understand, the way they're making this show. This is, what's this guy's name who made Gossip Girl is behind this. Right, uh, Josh Schwartz and uh, Stephanie Savage, who are the brains behind that. Yeah, so the, like Gossip Girl and the OC and you know all those sort of coming-of-age, like not-quite-adolescence-played-by-30-year-old dramas. Right. <laughs> it's going to be that, but also there's an alien and a dinosaur. Sounds good to me. Yeah, and let me make this clear that... They're, one of their powers is like, like, do they telepathically talk to the dinosaur, or do they just control it somehow? It's I, if, a telepathic link of some sort. Yeah, um, th- this that better be in the show because <laughs> that might be a deal. I want to see this teenager controlling this dinosaur. That that would be really cool, and I bet it'll happen. But man, animating dinosaurs is uh, probably way too expensive for Hulu. I, I don't know what their biggest budget show is, but it probably is not big enough to have a dinosaur main character. I don't know. You got a guy in a suit. I just, oh, I, man. Listen, part of this is that, like, it's a very silly concept. Like, when you look at the parents in this, like, they're, they're in a, you know, an evil alliance, like a Legion of Doom kind of thing, where one is an alien and one is from the future. and one is, It's like, why are all these people working together? It doesn't make any sense. Why not? But, they they balance each other out. They all have powers that the others don't, so they, they can work together. And they, they, they have dominated the L.A. supervillain scene. I mean, they're so good that you can't even think of one Marvel L.A.-based superhero. Well, okay, I don't know that I'm necessarily the best bar for that. Case but... closed. All right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, either way, this so this is a bit of a ways off, and they've got just a huge list of characters to choose from. The team has had some upsets. Yeah, uh, back and forth. It's not the leader. Well, okay, spoilers. <laughs> like one character at the end of the first run, I guess, switches sides and then like is immediately killed. Yeah, he's he's a traitor, and uh, you know I'm sure that'll be the whole first season, and everyone mm-hmm. it'll be like the the whole Ned Stark thing from Game of Thrones, where anyone who had read the book saw the ending, and were like, well, that's from the book. Anyone who hadn't read the book, were like, oh my god, this is crazy. But they'll have to kill him. But one of them will be in love with him. And that just how you it's such a beautiful teen romance. It's perfect. <laughs> it's so this is a weird thing for me. I this is, so does not interest me, the, the teen romance thing, but I do think it's actually perfect. Yeah. Like this has the potential on a technical and financial level to be an incredibly successful television show. This appeals to everybody. Everyone's gonna be interested in it, everyone's gonna be talking about it over the water cooler. And there's a dinosaur, well, there probably isn't a dinosaur, unfortunately, but there's, like, gloves from the future, yeah. and, like, a I'll... mutant girl, like, uh, like from the X-Men, you know, she's got super strength, and but she's, like, six years old or something. She's really? She's pretty young. Maybe not six, yeah, but she's, six. like, I'm ten. Just, that's a little for the teen drama, that might but be. But she's, she's, they, they sort of, uh, when they run away, the other members of the team sort of become surrogate parents for her. It's it's part of the story. She doesn't yeah. get involved in the romances necessarily. Right, but taking care of her is a strain. That's on our, you know, in, yeah. no doubt incredibly attractive teenage <laughs> heroes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's like, I'm, at, I'm getting to the point where I'm a little burnt out on new superheroes and new superhero shows. I can't keep track of who's who and who's in what universe. This one actually seems like it's a really good idea for a television show. Definitely. Um, the, the other thing about it, the source material has some really good pedigree. I mean, something like the first 24 issues are written by Brian K. Vaughn. He's an incredible talent. He's created Why the Last Man. He did Ex Machina, the comic book, not the movie. He, he's he got a, just a great, phenomenal track record of material. He worked on Lost at one point, so he's great. And Joss Whedon took over at one point, too. Yeah, I saw that after Vaughn, I think, he yeah. picked it up. And like, you know, if anyone does like quippy teenagers with powers well... That's Joss Whedon. Definitely. Uh, like, do we know if he's involved at all with... I guess we don't know if he's involved at all with the television show, but... I would be surprised. Maybe he'd come in and direct an episode as, like, a, just... A fun tribute. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would like to think they'd be smart enough to pick up on his style. Yeah, that would make sense. And I think uh, Josh Schwartz, he's got some background with that sort of stuff. I think he also created the OC, and that had tons of comic book references in there. Uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to mention about this is, you know, Howard Stern used to have this this um, title he gave himself. He called himself the king of all media. I really think we need to remove that crown from Howard Stern and give it to Marvel because, man, they have conquered everything. Comic books, movies, video games, cartoons, and now they're going to have TV shows on ABC, Fox, FX, Netflix, and Hulu. Any channel you want, you're going to be able to find a Marvel TV show. But it's important to remember that Marvel is not the top of that pyramid, right? There's a there's a pair of big black ears. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, hanging what over Jesse there. is referring to is Disney owns Marvel, but I mean, when was the last time you saw anything by Disney? It's all Marvel now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Disney. I don't know. They don't know what they're up to nowadays. <laughs> Movies for kids. <laughs> so moving away from superheroes, whew, because I don't know about you, my drive is about full. <laughs> Uh, Into the world of video games, Uh, we saw a trailer at GamesCon this past week uh, for the new Metal Gear game, which, 
has a bit of a story drama behind it. It's uh, I think we've gotten into this briefly before. Um, Metal Gear, especially Metal Gear Solid, is a very popular, very franchised video game. Everyone's in love with it. Uh, came out in 87, but 1998 was Metal Gear Solid. It was the They called it a tactical espionage game. You're a secret agent, and you slip in you know, past the guards, don't let them see you. But really, it was little bits of gameplay that told this story, essentially, about... In that game, it was the dangers of nuclear proliferation. Um, the series has since extended into the past and into the future, where they're dealing with other technologies, but essentially it's always been this story of, you know, how things in the, the world have gone wrong because of technology and the economy geared towards war, and you have to learn to think for yourself and get over all this stuff. Very, like, it combines a fun gameplay with some really cool concepts. Especially, uh, there's, there's sort of like this anti-war and anti-violence messages in it, which is really unusual for a big video game. Well, right? they had anti-electronic like, media. Remember Metal Gear Solid 2, at one yeah. point there's a crazy AI, and one of the ways it's crazy is it yells at the player to turn the video game off. Right. And it's, it messes with your head. Anyway... The like Konami is the company behind this, but their sort of star racehorse was this series creator, Hideo Kojima. They released the latest Metal Gear game last year, September 1st, a Metal Gear Solid V Phantom Pain, but right before it came out, there was all this weird hoopla. Um, Kojima disappeared. Like, there were jokes that maybe he, like, you know, he just was working so hard on the game that he turned his life off, but no, it turns out behind the scenes there was a very dramatic split. Um, Konami has decided to really rein in their video game production and focus on mobile titles and pachinko machines, which is like big bank in Japan. Gambling machines, Yeah, it's like slot machines meet pinball. Ah, Um, But the way they handled it, like, they took his name off of the game and, like, reissued marketing materials without it. The game won an award, and he was forbidden to go to the award ceremony to accept the award. So how involved was he with the game? Well, he produced it, like, right up to the end. Really? And then they just took his name off of it because they're mad at him. So he's left and now founded his own company, but Konami retains the Metal Gear license, and now they're announcing their first Metal Gear game without Kojima, which is Metal Gear Survive, and uh, it is a four-player cooperative Survive the Zombies game. So pretty pretty standard operating procedure these days. Man, if you looked up low-hanging fruit in a dictionary... Like, put it this way, if you're interested in some co-op zombie survival, you could play one or two other video games that are survival zombie games, such as, uh, just in the last few years, uh, Dead Rising, Dead Rising 2, 3, and 4, Zombie U, The Walking Dead, Resident Evil, DayZ, H1Z1, State of Decay, Dead Island 1, and... Uh, you see where I'm going with this. Right. Zombies have been a big thing in pop culture for a while. Have they been a thing in the Metal Gear series? No. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, Metal Gear definitely has its kooky side. There are some weird things in there. This is silly. The The plot, quote-unquote, of this game is that before Metal Gear Solid Five, the one where they pull Kojima off of, an alternate timeline happens when magical wormholes appear and suck minor characters, like NPCs with no name, out of that world and into a new one full of monsters and zombies. Okay, so just in their defense for a second here, isn't it kind of a good thing that their first attempt at a new Metal Gear thing doesn't play around with the main Metal Gear storyline and potentially ruin that? Well, the the idea is if you're going to make a co-op zombie survival game, you can do that. At this same event, at Gamescon, Call of Duty, which has had its zombie mode in every Call of Duty game for years, 
showed the latest footage from their newest zombie survival thing. Right. It is considered a small part of an otherwise complete game. Like, the thing is, they're taking... Like, this series has such a pedigree of doing unique and interesting things and really dramatic storytelling, and they've boiled it down to the most generic thing possible. Like, what a way to come out and say, here we are, we're gonna, you know, take on the world without Kojima, we have our own brilliant ideas, and it's the exact same thing as everything else that everyone has already done. So, the people like who are fans of Metal Gear, like, they were always gonna hate this. That's not... Like, because everyone's mad at how they treated Kojima. It doesn't matter. They're going to hate it anyway. But for everyone else, like, who just... Uh, maybe this is a video game I'd want to play. Why would you pick this one up? Is it going to be... I read that this is sort of like a budget title for Konami. Could it mean that it might be cheaper to the consumer? They're saying it's going to be closer to a $30 USD price tag instead of a $60 USD price tag. That's appealing. Yeah, but $60 gets me an entire Call of Duty game with the zombie mode. Right. Already in it. Now, they've also said that they... Apparently, the trailer is pretty action-packed, which is pretty different from the, your typical Metal Gear game, which is a lot more stealth-based. In... Yes, in theory, the games are very stealthy. You do spend a lot of time sneaking around people. Um, there are also, you know, walking nuclear-equipped robots. Right. But they're no, they're, the games are never, like, wall-to-wall action, no, right? it's not what they're supposed to be. Now, I've heard, well, one of the things I read was one of the developers of this game has said that there are definitely going to be stealth elements in this game, too. Maybe that will set it apart from the other zombie games? Well, I've played zombie games where it's, you'll be quiet, don't wake the witch. Right. We've all done that. That was Left for Dead. That's another one, by yeah. the way. Um, Great one. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. But still, like... This is, I mean, the fruit is, like, it's a bush. It's a strawberry bush. It's not hanging off of anything. Like, anybody can do this. This game has been made a hundred times. Is the market saturated? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you, I'm even tired of watching zombies on TV. Like, the movies, the TVs, everything. Yeah, Walking Dead is fine, but I just... But just, like, there is an ironic comparison between the qualities of this traditional slow zombie... And the pace of development of these zombie products. Right. Alright, so let's yeah. move on to number one on our list, mm-hmm. another video game. Yeah. Uh, Not even quite a transition. Also, where things didn't go quite as expected. Yeah, do you want to go into some of the background? This is a game called No Man's Sky. Yeah, so this is... It came out a little bit earlier this month, actually. I think it was the 9th, August 9th. Um, made from indie studio, uh, Hello Games. 15 guys, but mostly the brainchild of this guy, Sean Murray. Um, what the game essentially promises is, it sort of seemed like it was positioning itself to be the next Minecraft, which is important. We'll get back to that. Okay. But essentially it's saying, so here is a, a universe full of planets and stars, and it's all procedurally generated, which means, like, developers haven't seen it, like, like it's, it's all been, like, based on this mathematical Mendelbrot, all these random elements are put together to build this universe, and you go explore it. And you build spaceships, and you find cool stuff, and you, you know, maybe you're the first person to discover this planet, so you name it. It becomes GeekTop5.com planet. And you go and you just enjoy and this fun world. It's not, it's not maybe you're the first person to discover it. You are almost certainly the first person to discover it, because there are that many planets. There are, there's things, it's something like 1.8 quadrillion. Yeah, or quintillion. Or quintillion. Something. Yeah. Whatever the number is, it's nothing we will ever be able to count to, so it doesn't matter. Which, maybe it does. Because here's the interesting thing. The game is being released to significant controversy, really as a result of the fact that people didn't know exactly what to expect. 
And there, there are a lot of people saying the studio didn't deliver on what they wanted to, to what they promised, which is kind of true. And there are a lot of people saying, well, the studio never promised World of Warcraft. Why would you expect World of Warcraft? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Um, the big thing that happened, like on the first day of release, two players who were in contact with each other realized they were on the same planet. What are the odds of that? But it happened. That's thought, how popular it was at release. I thought they organized it, but anyway. But they managed to find each other. Yeah. But they didn't. They got to the same planet, to the same spot, and they couldn't see each other. And what they realized was each player inhabited a separate instance of the planet. R- really, that they were playing a single-player game. Now, to be fair, this isn't a huge surprise since they said soon before launch, I think, that you didn't even need an internet connection to be able to enjoy the game. It was, it, they said pretty specifically, it's not a multiplayer game. But see, that's the thing. Earlier on, they did. Right. And now, there's a big gray area here, and because of who we are, we're geeks on the internet, everything is outrageous. <laughs> if you look this up, there is a long list of arguments about what they promised, what didn't they, what... Some things like this multi-shared experience, they definitely did promise, or at least it seems like they misled. Okay. Um, important note, games like this tend to evolve over time, so maybe that's coming. It's definitely not there on release. On the other hand, there's all this stuff that people essentially said, wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great if it had cool raid bosses? The studio never said that. Right. And they came out and sort of said, hey, like, yeah, combat's kind of a part of it. You will have a laser gun, but it's not going to be an organized tactical game. But people just kind of ignored them because they were so excited for this game. The hype train was off the rails. Yeah. And it, now it's getting like sixes and sevens out of ten because people are disappointed. It doesn't have things that it was never going to have anyway. It was like, it got, it was one of those things where that you create something and you put it in the world. And in this case, it hadn't even been created yet. That Just describing it was putting it out in the world and then it got totally away from the creators and became something else in the imagination of everyone who read about it. Right. So it's a really interesting exercise in maybe putting too much into your marketing. I mean, there is small... Or not enough. Or not enough, maybe. Like, they're a small indie studio, but, you know, it's being developed and published, sorry, published by PlayStation, like by Sony. They were the ones ramping this up and, mm. you know, getting all the, the media blogs onto it and stuff. Should they have done a better job of controlling the message? Or were they perfectly happy to let it run wild? It's, I feel like it's the kind of thing that could go into a PR textbook in a couple of years. It's become a pretty big hit, at least financially, right? Like, a lot of people bought it. A lot of people bought it, but apparently they didn't play it for very long. And that's not even that weird for a video game. Launch day is always a big day, because mm-hmm. everyone's playing it at the same time. Then the numbers really drop off as people remember that they have jobs and families and you know things that they have to do with their time. This has become a big news story this week, though, this drop-off, right? Like, they've said it's 90%, but I read certain articles where it was like, it's not that far off from other big releases, where there's something like 85, 80% drop-offs anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of the criticisms levied at this game have nothing to do with the game itself. It has to do with this weird metaculture of these expectations and of this hype, everything that was built up around it while it was coming out. Uh, in any case, so you've played it. Yeah, I... I I was really excited about it when I started hearing about it, and I'm so out of touch with a lot of the video game stuff that I only really started hearing about it earlier this year. But just the concepts were very exciting to me, and even then, I ended up waiting a couple weeks after release before I got it, 
for various personal reasons, but that ended up working out well, too, because I got to see the reviews, and it helped temper my expectations. I feel like if I got it on the first day and just went in and started playing it, I would be as disappointed as some of these other people. But playing it now, I am enjoying it for what it is, where it's about discovery and, and going to each world is a new adventure where it's like, what am I going to see here? What's the world going to look like? I've been to one where the atmosphere is poison. I've been to another where the atmosphere is freezing cold and you can't be out of your ship for very long. And both of them have incredibly different animals and species wandering around. And I'm enjoying it on that level. It's somewhat relaxing just to not have to worry about some major quest. And I can just go and walk around and explore and try and find the little things that are there to find. It actually does sound incredibly cathartic. Yeah. If it's fun, you're having a good time, you'd recommend it? I would, but go in with tempered expectations and, and know what kind of gamer you are. If you want to go in guns blazing and play war games, this is not the game for you. If you want a game where you don't have to remember complicated story stuff and just go in and explore and, and see beautiful worlds, try this game. Fair enough. All right, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. We'll be right back with our special guest segment. And we're back for the second half of Geek Top 5. This is our usual segment where we have a top five list from a guest. And in a Geek Top 5 first, we actually have two guests. And they are going to go back and forth and do a list of, uh, let me get this straight, hilarious sci-fi sports. Truly a list that could not be handled by one man alone. (laughs) (laughs) So our two men are Jeff Goodman. Hi. And Dan Zayans. Hello there. The you know, experts on things that are hilarious and... Uh, sports? I, I guess sports? Uh, are you a sports expert? Uh, no, I wouldn't refer to myself as any kind of an expert on absolutely anything. So uh, <laughs> we'll just see how this goes, and, and hopefully we'll get to the finish line somehow. Right. And Jeff, you are vaguely athletic, I sure. think. <laughs> sure, okay, we'll go with... A resounding sure. endorsement. All right, I think we've got two people who know what they're on about. <laughs> Feeling good. All right, let's jump right into this so people can figure out what the heck it is you're talking about. Um, sure. So we uh, are doing a hilarious uh, sports science fiction crossovers here. So, uh, you know, programs, episodes through through the canon of uh, science fiction history where uh, sports somehow got mashed into the mix of the plot of the episode or the, of the story. And uh, the first one we're going to start with is... Um, video game, nostalgic video game throwback. Jeff remembered this game from uh, back on uh, NES. Original NES. Original NES yeah. and from 1991. Yeah. It's called Base Wars. If you were going to get into the official name, Cyber Stadium Series Base Wars. <laughs> Which is interesting. Epic I... name, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there was any other part of the series. I think it was just a one and done. Oh, so they, yeah. were, they were ambitious when they were naming it. Yeah. But yeah. is this like instead of the World Series, this represented the Cyber Stadium Series? Oh, maybe. maybe. Right? Cause... Maybe. Well, it, it did take place in the 24th century. Um, so who knows, really, how you know Major League Baseball plans to evolve moving forward. And I'm pretty sure the official... Uh, plot line for this baseball game was that salaries uh, got so inflated 
that um, owners of baseball teams decided to just do away with human players and, and invest in robots and stuff. Oh, so this game takes place like next month. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd be I'd ahead of its that. time for, for the 80s, just, for sure. Um, I, I'd like it noted that as Jeff and I were researching this game, um, one throwback that we came across was that the robots in the game used laser guns and laser swords to play, I guess, this futuristic form of baseball, which really, like, how would that... <laughs> I'm not really sure the the physics it's of that really laser make ball. any sense. I can expand on that because as part of my research for this event, I uh, went back <laughs> and actually played this game. Um, so yes, you do have robots. You are playing baseball, but whenever there's a close play, so if there's a close put out or you know a runner is is pretty close to you know the base and and there's a, a play at second, let's say that's close, instead of it either being a, safe call or an out call based on the umpire there's no umpire what happens is the two robots fight which of course robots yeah yeah so the laser swords and the laser guns come in handy there because you can actually blow up the uh base runner i'm not an expert on asimov's rules of (laughs) robot fundamentals but how does does i think that i think this works with the (laughs) three three laws compliant Yeah. yeah yeah Now, 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 if I remember correctly, there's three different types. There's, like, the humanoid robot, yes. and then the hover one. And, and the motorcycle one, which was really frustrating, because those guys just suck. Well, but they went really fast, right? Like, yeah, but they were the... super unwieldy. So, yes, they were fast, but you'd always overshoot the ball every time. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah. So you don't want them in the outfield, but... Yeah, like, if one... around the, uh, along the base path, for sure. Okay, fair enough. This already sounds infinitely better than baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, perhaps uh, this really is the future of the game. (laughs) Something we can look forward to. Well, compared to MLB 16, which I've also been playing a lot lately, Um, I have to side with MLB 16. It is bit of a better game. I, how, how are the fights in that? <laughs> Non-existent. Ah, yeah, yeah, and what kind of players? Like, like how do the motorcycle players? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we forgot the tank. There's a tank player in yes. Base Wars as well. Really? I'm not sure yeah. how MLB 16 integrates tank players. Because <laughs> I remember the three different types. I'm like, whenever they're pitching, they all have like the gun arm. The gun arm, which you can charge up. <laughs> right. And yeah. that's, that's how you determine like, if it's a fastball yes. or whatever. But what does yeah, the yeah. tank do? I don't know. They I were uh, really good hitters. Oh. Really, really good hitters. Yeah, and very <laughs> good at fighting. In a way, guys, this actually does seem more appropriately like America's pastime, given the emphasis <laughs> on violence and war. Military might. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Warlike. You know. And if you're the Texas Rangers, it's actually not too far from how they play the game now anyways. Yeah. All right. Now you're still, getting to inside too, baseball. Sorry. Literally. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Um, all right, well, we will now move on to uh, num- item number four, number four on our hilar- hilarious uh, sports sci-fi crossovers. This is uh, an obscure one. If you're a child of the 80s and 90s, you might remember the Mighty Ducks animated series. So this was loosely, <laughs> very, very loosely inspired by the Mighty Ducks films, uh, the Disney Mighty Ducks films that were popularized in the early 90s that had real, uh, you know, re- live-action uh, kids yeah, playing a, hockey. It was a whole story that the kids, they, they, you know, they found Underdog, their confidence. Underdog, ragtag group, Billy Estevez. There certainly no, were no mutant ducks in, in that series of films. When you say but, inspired by, I feel like they got a bunch of cartoon writers and were like, here's a title, do not watch the movies, come up with something, because it has nothing to do with the movies. You're right. It absolutely has nothing to do with the movies. This uh, animated series 
Uh, I just wanted to note, by the way, some of the, the voices. Uh, you had Ian Ziering, Ian <laughs> Ziering from Beverly Hills 90210. He was he was one of the voices. Brad Garrett, James Belushi, and Dennis Franz. I just wanted you guys to picture those guys in a room voicing mutant ducks. Mutant muscular ducks. Muscular ducks who play hockey. And okay, I, help me out. I just, I gotta get into what What's going on? Why are these mutant ducks playing hockey? Alright, so I knew you guys would ask. I knew you'd be desperate <laughs> I, to the, find out. The sad thing is that never occurred to me to ask. It just made perfect <laughs> sense. Like, oh, yeah. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> um, so, I mean, this to me really struck me as a blatant ripoff of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, that world of mutant creatures. I think it was hugely popular in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, there was also street the sharks, sharks. I was and the biker mice from Mars. Anyway, it's a moot point. So, this is a plot summary I pulled up. Uh, in another galaxy exists a planet populated entirely by humanoid ducks, dubbed Puck World. <laughs> oh. By its wait, 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 sorry. It's Puck World and not Duck World? <laughs> because their favorite pastime is playing hockey for of some reason. Um, and for the citizens of, of Puck World, hockey is not simply a sport. It is a way of life. And well, um, Exactly. That makes perfect sense because our planet is named like Earth. Canada. Our planet is named Earth because our favorite pastime is Earthing. <laughs> Right? You're almost acting no. as though the writers were just <laughs> pulling at straws here from a creativity perspective. Okay, so mutant ducks on Puck World, and they love hockey. Yeah, they love hockey, and for, right. for, for some reason they end up on Earth in the Earth city of Anaheim, California, <laughs> um, and uh, they battle a, a evil villain who also somehow came over uh, from Puck World, Lord Draganus. I could be saying the name wrong. I fully recognize... I could be saying it wrong. Oh, Dragonus or Dragonus. It's unclear. Anyway, uh, what really struck me about this particular series is just how violently cross-promotional it was. You know, you had the Mighty Ducks movies that were hugely popular. In the early 90s, I think it was 93, the NHL expanded the teams, to Anaheim, yeah. California with the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. They were owned by Disney at the time. This just struck me as a, a way to... Uh, well, I mean, sell just, the Mighty Ducks brand and popularize hockey. Yeah. And it seems just like a really misguided way to try and grow hockey in, in non-traditional hockey markets. At the same time, Dennis Franz as an animated <laughs> voice. You know, you know. Who, who do kids love more than Dennis Franz? <laughs> his, his brief stint on NYPD Blue, I think, really popularized him with young kids at the time. I have to say, I was not into hockey when I was a kid, but I do remember this show, and I watched it. I loved Ninja Turtles, and this was, like, similar enough that it pulled me Do you remember Dennis in. Franz? I don't remember <laughs> Dennis Franz, oddly. There, but there's, uh, there's also just a great plot point I wanted to highlight, is that, so they end up on Earth somehow, and they end up becoming an actual NHL team. They're the Mighty Ducks <laughs> in the NHL, but it's a team full of mutant ducks. Wait, so what happened to the actual Mighty Ducks? I don't know. They might have eaten. It's unclear. <laughs> okay. It's unclear what happened to the actual Mighty Ducks. And, like, their secret lair is located under the Mighty Ducks arena, also known as the, the Pond. The pond. Wait, um, how many hockey teams in the NHL have a secret lair? Uh, it wouldn't be much of a all. secret if we knew. <laughs> all right, that, <laughs> that's, a good point. that's a very good point. I, I sit corrected. Uh, so my, I, I have a question yes. for you. How many characters were were in the show? Five. Uh, yeah, you had the you had the main uh, characters. Uh, they have great names. Very important that you ask me that as well. <laughs> we had uh, Wild Wing Nosedive. <laughs> the female character really gets shafted name wise. Tanya. 
They could have come up with a yeah, hockey name for the girl. Wild Wing, Nosedive, Tanya, and Duke, Mallory, and Grin. So some of them are like hockey analogies, but others are just random. It's just yeah. like a Tanya. It's like hockey person, East... hockey person, and female yeah, character. And an Eastern European immigrant. <laughs> and I think every uh, animated action TV series from them had to have a character named Duke. That just seems yeah, like just a, mandatory. I'm yeah. guessing Duke was Dennis Franz. I don't know why. <laughs> my my question though is: Did the other hockey teams still have twenty players? Was it a team of five and Ducks against was, twenty was, team twenty member? I guess Toronto you weren't meant to be asking these critical <laughs> questions. Were the other teams accurately represented? Like, were they? Representative no, of actual I hockey. I don't know if they ever got the copyrights for that. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. That's fair. This... Uh, it had a it had a, a one a season run, twenty six episodes <laughs> in nineteen ninety six. I don't understand how it wasn't you know this legacy franchise. <laughs> it just went on for years and years. <laughs> they didn't but... need more. We're still talking about it. Obviously, that was <laughs> left an indelible yeah. impact. Yeah. But it does remind me. Do you remember that show? I, I think it was called Pro Stars or something, where it was a oh. cartoon. With Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and Bo Whoa. Jackson. Bo Jackson. No, yeah, yeah. I don't remember, remember that. that. Oh, that was the other sports-related cartoon. They, like, that I was not into. only were they excellent at their chosen sports, but they like fought crime and yeah. saved the world, and, and they're, they're kind of superheroes. Well, wait. Too. So, is the implication that the, 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 the Duck World Ducks didn't fight crime? Is all they did was play <laughs> hockey? They well, well I mean, they, like they the fought Draganus. Exactly, Draganus <laughs> was. For better or worse, okay. the main focus. Right. Of their so Lord Dragonus was probably <laughs> the bad guy. I get that, but like, were, was his plots just to win hockey games, or was there like a? No, I believe his his main objective was world domination. Okay. Classic sort of world domination plan. But I feel like that was probably you know a multi season arc that they just didn't end up with it. Yeah, they, they couldn't get. To, it was sort of a J. Michael Straczynski thing. Exactly. They couldn't get it all completed. Yeah. Okay. All of his plans happened to be easily thwarted by hockey. Right. Yeah, or like the 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 power of teamwork. Like that is how they uh, essentially solved every every uh, issue yeah. there. What quacks? Uh, <laughs> oh, right. my goodness. All right. So let's <laughs> on that note, <laughs> why don't we move on to uh, number three on the list? Yeah, and this one uh, jumped out at me, and I actually uh, rewatched this episode the other night. Just to, oh, to... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a good one, but it was entertaining. Um, so number three is an episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation called "The Icarus Factor," um, it's from season two, episode fourteen. Widely considered to be one of the, <laughs> the classics. Yeah, yeah, season two was not a good time for Next Generation. There are some good episodes in there. I'll, I'll stand well, by it. This was not one of them. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I didn't even remember what the actual episode was about. All I remembered was this terrible fight between. Uh, Commander Riker and his father. The one where Riker and his dad beat the crap out of each other in a blindfolded, terribly choreographed game of Anbo Jitsu, which was like a bad American Gladiators outtake. So they stand with these, like, <laughs> bopper sticks, and they have to bop each other off of a, a no, they're tower? Not, they're not on a no. platform. The pla- it's not even that cool. No, there's there's, okay. a, there's <laughs> a, like an octagon. Yeah, it's an arena. Okay. Yeah. And so it's so it, interesting that they had access to the holodeck where they really could have designed a perfect anything. arena... But I or guess something exciting. I guess the set guys weren't in the mood after they read the plot for this episode. So they're wearing these dumb jumpsuits that vaguely resemble like a Japanese samurai armor, sort of mixed with Tron. Suits. I guess. Yeah. And they have the dumb bopper sticks, and, but and they're blindfolded. Yeah, it's the, it's the blast shield from A New Hope. Yeah. And with a blast shield down, how am I supposed to fight? Well, the way you're supposed to fight is that like I guess the sticks have 
like sensors. sensors yeah. yeah, they pointed at each other, and when your stick is pointed at the other guy, it, it makes it makes a noise. Yeah. So they circle each other, waving these sticks around until it hums. <laughs> And then you go in and hit the guy with the stick. And the scene was like way too long and just terrible. Like the, it was just awkward and and, and and I think what makes this such a hilarious crossover is when you bring like sports into this particular, especially in this episode, it just ends up so campy. It just yeah. ends up so cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about this, but uh, if you guys can relate to this though, this is exactly how I settle all my differences with my <laughs> father. Ah. Um, through through an intense. Well, and the differences were intense, right? Like he, like this is supposed to be a metaphor for their bad relationship and Riker's telling them like like you should have died and my mother should have lived yeah like it's real hardcore and then his dad cheats and wins by cheating with an illegal move which is apparently the move that he used to beat Riker with yeah, and all the time and it was oh, like so they did it. and that's they how they make up they because he found out that his dad was throwing the games so he would still be interested yeah but they're still dancing around each other in these dumb jumpsuits and I mean like, I th- the name of it Enbu Jutsu like I, I think that does vaguely translate in Japanese, but their Japanese is worse than mine. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> what does it translate into? Like dad fight? I something about being blinded. Therapy? Yeah, like, <laughs> something about being blinded. Like Blind. blinded combat or something. Okay. Oh wait, were they wearing blindfolds in this? I can't yeah, remember these, that. Oh, yeah, like that's what the sensors are for. Right. So they can't see each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which made the fight terrible because there's. Swinging these unwieldy sticks around, and A, they're not top-notch athletes in the first place, and then add these unwieldy sticks and no sight, and it was just a terrible scene. I seem to remember a couple of camera cuts where you can very blatantly tell these stunt doubles have been inserted... And it just makes things. But they were the very good. The continuity is just really. But like, it off. just it like there's no possible way this would actually become a sport. And like, it's gen, insane. And next gen was never known for its blistering hand to hand combat scenes. <laughs> like, it was just terribly out of place. Yeah, it didn't make any sense in the context of anything of the show or just of common sense. In their defense, it was uh, still early days for next gen. They were trying to find out what could work or not, and. I guess they found out it didn't work. Yes. But, like, so much... Like, this was the key of this episode. And there's a lot of plots in this yeah, episode. Yeah, it's all about characters with daddy issues. Yeah, and yeah. it all ties in to this, like, it feels like 17-year-long blindfolded American gladiator. <laughs> like, you know the writer started, he said, wouldn't it be cool if we had American gladiators... But they can't see. And then they just wrote the episode around it as best they could. Now, refresh my memory, but was there not a blind American gladiator as well? <laughs> In real life. Oh yeah. God, I, I hope not. It sounds or no, maybe, horribly Maybe degrading. there was a deaf, I think there was a deaf one. Oh. And I'm pretty sure the Good name was Siren. Guy. Yeah, I, I remember. That guy. Yeah. Um, well, uh, in keeping with uh, Star Trek lore and canon, um, we we picked out another sort of gem of a, a sports-related uh, episode. I feel like this one jumped out pretty quick to both of us. Um, but not Next Generation. This is uh, Deep Space Nine. And it's not a made-up sport this time. No, not a made-up sport. Uh, the episode was called Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, Season 7, Episode 4. If I remember this, they are in like the midst of the war with the Dominion. Yeah. Oh, they're and... they're just coming off of us like a, an arc of a seriously dark arc, and the writers need to lighten up the show a little because otherwise it's like you're gonna kill yourself watching yeah. this thing. It's, it's like it feels like Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> appropriately since a lot of the staff got their start there. Yeah. But yeah, they're gonna have a fun episode, 
And and so, uh, Captain Solok of the Federation Starship Tacumbra challenges Cisco and the crew to a, a baseball game, and and Cisco starts singing it. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with Ben Cisco's love of baseball. It's mentioned, it's referenced multiple times throughout the series. Yeah, he tosses the baseball to himself. Yeah, he's got the thing. baseball on his desk in his yeah. office. Um, and in his ready room, and uh, anyway, he, he starts taking the game way too seriously, and, you know, I think he lashes out at one of, uh, well, what, is it Quark, or Quark's... Yeah, Quark, yeah. And Rom. But, but, but there's, some, Rom. His, yeah, there's some history right. here, because um, Cisco and Solok have, have... Oh, yeah, have like a rivalry back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Back at, back at the Academy, they had a yeah. rivalry, and, and, and um, anyway, what we loved about this was they essentially, you know, just left the traditional DS9 set for the shooting of this episode... And basically went to a baseball diamond in like Southern and, California and dressed the crew up in like you know baseball jerseys. Yeah, they were the yeah, Niners. A really right? funny scene with Worf where he screams out "Death to the opposition" or something. <laughs> yeah, they're right trying to teach the, him how yeah. to like trash talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the the other team, it's it's a, a ship it's a, that's it's only Vulcan. Vulcan team. Yeah. So it's an all. So imagine so like a team of Mister Spocks playing <laughs> baseball. And you got and on the other side the DS Nine crew is kind of like the team of misfits, right? Right. right. The bad and, news bears and uh, just. Everything about that, actually, I think it really hits a lot of great notes that episode. And um, I, I just, I, all of those moments, uh, the bad trash talking, the, <laughs> the like uh, alien species trying to learn the fundamentals of baseball when, you know, it's like a really complex game for regular people to figure out <laughs> to begin I do, with. I do remember a scene where part of the crew are reading through the rules and, and kind of realizing how complex and, and how detailed the game actually is. I even like the part of the story that like the crew really wanted to do this for Cisco, for Cisco. too, right? Yeah. They wanted to like make him proud and that sort of thing. There's a... It's uh, it's super cheesy, but uh, again, like you said, to break up those sort of dark series of it, yeah. well, that that whole season is so dark. But the, but this particular episode does a really great job, and hilariously so. Again, so many uh, Which, fun moments. What there. a contrast to the Ambujutsu, <laughs> where it didn't make any sense. Like it doesn't make any sense really for them to be playing baseball either. But something about the way, I guess, it helps that the show is so character driven. But just watching them have a good time but also, is so satisfying. By this point in the show, you know how much Cisco loves baseball. That's been well yeah. established, right? Whereas with Next Gen, it was like all of a sudden Anbo Jitsu out of nowhere for one episode, and then it's never spoken of ever again. Next, Next Gen sort of has a bad track record with that. Of with like, sports references, right? Not even just sports well, references, with anything. It's like when the Cardassians, very, their very first appearance, the first time the word Cardassian is even said on the show, they say, well, we're just, we've just signed a peace treaty with them. So this whole war has gone on with the Cardassians that's never, never been, been referenced before. <laughs> now again, Next Gen is a very episodic show. Yes. Right. There's nothing Thing to say that the events we're watching even happen in sequence. Right. Like one series of events ends and then another right. one starts. Deep Space Nine is a continuous story. The other, I mean, one of the great things about that, in this case especially, is that show had the the tightest crew and like the, the best character interaction of any Star Trek series. By far it did, yeah. Yeah, so that helps bond them as yeah. a team, makes it believable. But it was almost a necessity with that show from the start because... They're not exploring, really. They're yeah. stuck on a space station. So it had to have been character-driven in, in, in some way, right? I and mean, this, is, this is... We're getting a little off-topic, but that uh, they also, I guess, really wanted to set themselves apart from ne- Next Generation 
because they started at the same time. They were on the same right. air at the same time for about a year and a half. Voyager started after Next Generation and just became a Next Gen clone in a lot of ways, and uh, I think suffered for it. But yeah. anyway, it's a that's yeah. another story. But Deep yeah. Space Nine also lacking in any hilarious sports references. Uh, there is there was mm-hmm. an episode with uh, the Rock. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, it was you're not, right. That's pretty hilarious. Yeah. But focusing on this, it was like I mean. We have set up that the crew uses the Hollow Suite to relax and sometimes ridiculous things. Like we see O'Brien and Bashir, like they're doing the World War One pilots, or they're doing the Alamo. Right. The first episode with Worf when he meets Kira and Dax, they're dressed as the princesses from Robin Hood or something. They have a whole story arc with like the lounge singer in the Hollow Suite. Yeah, there. Vic Fontaine. Yeah. So the Hollow Suite is an established part, so maybe that's what helps. Is that we already know that every once in a while they can get you know off the station, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to do these other things. This is just the one episode that really went into there yeah. just to do something fun. There, there's another episode kind of like that, but not sports related. The one where they get trapped in, or their images get trapped in there, and they do the James Bond episode. That one's really fun. Well, too. Uh, yeah, people get trapped in holodecks We're a lot in Star Trek. Yeah, That's yeah, just. Yeah, yeah. But it, there's, anyway, there's always you a can purpose. Do a top five of just those oh, episodes. Not much Man. Yeah. in the holodeck. All right, let's end this one now so I can start. Anyway, (laughs) Um, Anyway, that uh, was a blast. Jutsu was not. Perfect contrast. Yes, agreed. And uh, and so let us end uh, with, you know, probably the, yeah, high note, the pinnacle of of sports, sci-fi, campiness, (laughs) and cheesiness, and that is uh, the 1996 uh, blockbuster film, Space Jam. Oh, man, um, Space Jam. Space Jam. I had that song stuck in my head for like four years. You and millions of other idiot kids who spent $5 <laughs> to see this terrible movie. Jeez, was it only $5 when we were kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that my really gosh. dates us too, now, right? i got to say, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I have a hard time hearing it referred to as a terrible movie. It wasn't that bad. It, it was not. It's uh, not good. I mean, I guess it depends what your standard of good is. Um, Pretty so low. Let us. Well, there you go. Let us revisit. Uh, obviously, it, it starred legendary basketball player Michael Jordan uh, and Bill Murray and the Looney Tunes cartoon characters. <laughs> Which where did that come from? Can I ask? Uh, who said drugs? Who said Bugs Bunny? Yeah. Michael Jordan. Let's do it. Honestly, this was like uh, so. Michael Jordan in the nineties. He, he was, was an everything. iconic, you know, figure across sports, across across pop culture. And I think this is like, this is a boardroom of white men sitting around a table being like, how can we make more money off this man? Synergize. 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 But with Bugs Bunny? Wasn't this his, like, punishment in order to get back into basketball after he retired and played baseball? That wasn't part of the movie. Yeah, exactly. They actually fictionalized the year that Michael Jordan shockingly retired from the NBA and what he spent that year doing. And I guess it was acid tripping with the <laughs> characters um, because he ends up in some kind of alternate universe, and he and the he Looney ends Tunes, up in the Warner Brothers universe. Uh, yes, it's exactly. Not, yeah, and and he and he has to work with the Looney Tunes to defeat some aliens who I guess are trying to take over. They've stolen the basketball talents of various NBA student, right. superstars. These aliens There's have like Patrick Ewing and. Uh... Who was the what was the name of the short basketball player? Muggsy Bowes. Muggsy Bowes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And there's a shot, so then like they can't play in the NBA anymore. Yeah, yeah. because their stuff has been drained by these cartoons. The Monstars. The, the Monstars. For the record, by the way, the boardroom full of white guys uh, must have been onto something <laughs> because it opened at number one in the box office and grossed two hundred and thirty million dollars worldwide, and is the highest grossing basketball film of all time. So it was probably also the highest grossing Looney Tunes movie of all time. That's why I went to see it. I don't know anything about you know about 
about basketball. I was going to yeah. say baseball. But <laughs> you don't know anything about either. I don't know anything about I don't know anything about your ball games. But I mean, like Looney Tunes, I'll go to watch the Looney Tunes and then I just I had to learn who Michael Jordan was. But have you seen any other Looney Tunes movies in theaters? I don't think so. Where, so like, I, I don't know. even really but, remember. If there there was one with Steve Martin that was like Looney Tunes back in action. I, 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 focusing I, on this movie. Sorry. They, I think you know what was able to draw in like what was it like ten year old Jesse at the time right was the fact that even if you knew nothing about basketball you probably had heard of Michael Jordan and you probably knew the Looney Tunes characters and so uh, synergistically it certainly works and just from a hilarity point of view I think it is the fact that like you have these worlds that never ever mesh together but like these producers Ivan Reitman by the way produced it throws yeah. them together. And, and the hilarity ensues, I think. And at the time, I think for a lot of us when we were kids, the the idea of having real world and animation mixed together was still a really novel thing. Yeah. And that I, was kind of a draw on it. It was sort of exclusive to Roger Rabbit at the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, when that, did that come out? That was like... That was before. That was, that was 90, before. Early yeah. 90s, I yeah. think. Yeah. Or a Cool World kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was more of an adult film, but yeah, but Roger Rabbit's pretty adult too. Yeah, looking true. back, but man, Roger, I love Roger his uh, seductive uh, friend there, Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, there his wife. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's his ex-wife, but we don't need to get into that. Yeah, uh, Space Jam. Um, was it a good movie? I don't know if it's up there with Ben Hur. Look, um, it may not but, be Bill Murray's finest moment. But it was a riot. Well, we all know what that is. How could that not have been a Bill Murray... That's a Bill Murray cash grab right there. Like, Bill Murray's clearly been asked to be a part of this. And he might have even been contractually obligated And he's somehow. already been in the greatest movie of all time. So, well, really, yes, of course. That's a list for another time. <laughs> and then, what's, uh, what's the name of the actor who plays Newman? Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight was in it. <laughs> like, he, like, he's on the bench with Porky Pig. And yeah. He, he was... Was, uh, fresh, he was on like uh, he had fresh off in, of uh, Jurassic Park. Had been in Jurassic Park. Was a villain in Jurassic Park, and in, then in this one, he, he it was the goofy it. comic relief in a movie where every character is comic, <laughs> but still managed to, like, to be very distinctive. In a do, you comic guys think, role. do you guys think that Bill Murray was tricked into this thing? It was a documentary because I'm pretty sure they pull him off a golf course. It just looks like, and I don't think he's dressed in anything other than like a golf shirt and khaki pants the whole time. No, no, yeah, he gets a uniform. Does he get a uniform? Yeah. Does he play? He actually does he's play. What, he, the key moment is he's got to get the... He <laughs> gets the ball. I studied this film frame <laughs> by frame before making it the number the, one the key, item on the list. The key moment is Bill Murray gets the ball to Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan learns how to like become a cartoon character mm. and dunk the ball from like half court by stretching his arm out. Maybe. No, Bill Murray was definitely an important part of it. And honestly, knowing Bill Murray... I think they could just describe this. Listen, you're going to be playing basketball with Bugs Bunny. And Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan. I think he would, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? How much are you paying me? I'm in. You know? I think he'd he'd do it. I would do it. Yeah. No, I wouldn't turn it down. I would probably do it, too. All right. So I think that's it for the list this week. Thanks for uh, stopping by, guys. So special thanks, Jeff Goodman, Daniel Zayans. They love to be here, I'm sure. Yes, it was, it was uh, great. a great pleasure. Um, we hope to do it again soon. And special thanks to our usual supporting crew, Ben Sound, Stella Simeonova, and you, the player. If you want to get a hold of us, we're all over the place. Yeah, we can be reached at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. And on Twitter, we can be reached at geektop5. You got something we'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, stay tuned. We'll be back to you with the next episode soon.